Oh, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome here this morning. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and true to form, I've tried to squish two sermons into one again. Uh, there's just so much I think uh, we have to learn from Jesus here. So I want to jump right in uh, in a minute and reading in uh, Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 27, and just hear again from Jesus as he brings a sharp and direct rebuke to the religious people of his day. And a reminder for all of us, again, as easy as it is through this whole series to be thinking about who this applies to, I want to remind us and encourage us to let these words speak to us and let Jesus speak to you specifically as well. Uh, really, we want to let Jesus' direct and even cutting words kind of speak to us because ultimately, this is important, ultimately Jesus isn't trying to condemn anyone, but actually calling them and calling us to repentance, to a change, to a course correction. He's calling us actually to recognize the aspects of who we are that still maybe are drastically misaligned with who he is, what his kingdom is about, and who he calls his disciples to be. So that is the, the framework for all of this. And I believe, I believe that all of this matters whether we are already close to Jesus or are just trying to figure him out a little bit because Jesus's critique today, I think is gonna give us pause for a minute, for a minute because what I hope to explore through these two verses is the truth that trying to look good on the outside, trying to look like a good person or even, even a godly person while ignoring or covering up our brokenness means that we are kept back from community, means that we are actually kept back from relationship and even, even belonging, that we actually miss what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And this means that this means we're actually dead inside, as harsh as that sounds, as we're, we're, we're gonna hear Jesus say in just a minute that our hearts are like tombs, that we are like tombs, that when we refuse to admit that we aren't as shiny and happy on the inside as we'd like others to believe, or maybe even worse, when we think that we're all good, when in fact, our hearts are more like tombs than like gardens, this is where Jesus is gonna take us. So, sounds exciting, right? This sounds really enticing for us. No, it doesn't sound exciting at all. This sounds hard and challenging, but that doesn't mean that it can't be good. Because if you're curious about knowing Jesus, and especially if you're already following him, then we want to listen to Jesus's words even when they challenge us, and maybe especially when they challenge us. So with that, we gotta get right into Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Here, here's what Jesus says there. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Again, that's that woe to you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So here, once again, we have Jesus bringing some very direct and harsh criticism toward the religious people of his day. And to help us wrap our minds around what Jesus is saying here to them and also to us, we need to recognize that Jesus isn't teaching in a vacuum, right? There's a context that he's speaking in. There's a history, there's a culture, and all of that is deeply founded on the Hebrew Bible, what we refer to as the Old Testament. And Jesus is using specific words here that would have been like hyperlinks to his listeners. They would have triggered certain ideas and images and thoughts that, that we don't necessarily pick up on because it's not a context that we 
are familiar with. So there's certain things that we can connect with right away and others that if we aren't aware of the context, we're gonna, we're gonna rush right past. So for instance, here's, here's an example. When Jesus says, you are like whitewashed tombs, we can, in our context, understand somewhat easily what he's talking about to a degree, because we get the idea of whitewashing a, a wall, a brick wall, to make it look better on the outside, updated a little bit. We also get the idea of whitewashing, the idea of kind of deliberately hiding or concealing some form of, you know, incriminating evidence or something about something or, or someone. Whitewashing to, to make something look better on the outside than, than it really is. So we get that. And we obviously understand what a tomb is, right? So on one level, we're right there with Jesus. But with Jesus's listeners, the Pharisees in particular, what they would have caught when he was speaking and what would have come to mind for them would have undoubtedly been a passage from Ezekiel chapter 13, which I'm going to say pretty confidently none of us had come to mind when we hear Jesus talk about whitewashing. So here from Ezekiel chapter 13, starting in verse 8, here's what we read. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because what you say is false and your visions are a lie, I will stand against you, says the sovereign Lord. Verse 10. This will happen because these evil prophets deceive my people by saying all is peaceful when there is no peace at all. It's as if the people have built a flimsy wall and these prophets are trying to reinforce it by covering it with whitewash. There's that word, that, that hyperlink word. Tell these whitewashers that their wall will soon fall down. A heavy rainstorm will undermine it. Great hailstones and mighty winds will knock it down. Verse 13. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will sweep away your whitewashed wall with a storm of indignation, with a great flood of anger, and with hailstones of fury. Verse 15. Then I will say to you, the wall and these whitewashers, sorry, these, the wall and those who whitewashed it are both gone. So, for the people listening to Jesus, and if we want to better understand what Jesus is getting at, this verse, this verse was key because Ezekiel was speaking at a time when some people who considered themselves prophets who said, hey, we're speaking on behalf of God, were saying, hey, don't worry, everything is fine. Look how good everything looks on the outside. This is fine. This is okay. Everything is good. The problem was that everything wasn't actually fine, right? That peace was not coming and the protection that these so-called prophets were assuring is what God was saying through Ezekiel is actually a whitewashed wall. This isn't what's actually going on. That's the analogy that the Pharisees listening to Jesus would have caught right away and that we miss because we're not as familiar with, with that context. And the reason for this was all because of the reason that God was saying this is all going to get washed away in Ezekiel was because the people were not following the law that God had given them, a law that led them towards compassion, toward right relationship with the people around them. But we're going to get back to that in a little bit when we talk about the word righteousness and what Jesus is, is getting at there. So whitewash, that's the first, word that we can pay, the first word that we can pay attention to and get a sense of what Jesus is getting at. And that it's not, it's not just about things looking good on the outside while things are falling apart on the inside, but that the hyperlink, the context says that this way actually leads to destruction. This way actually leads to death. And why Jesus next goes on to talk about tombs and about bones. So verse 27, we'll keep reading what Jesus says. 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Now, the Pharisees were obsessed with religious laws about purity and things that make them impure and rightfully so because God actually gave them a number of laws to direct them in this. What makes them ceremonially and religiously impure and how to become pure again through that. And not surprisingly, one of the things that would make you impure in this context, 100% would have been touching a dead person such as someone's bones. Now, for us, this doesn't really land in the same way, right? Because as much as we can in our context understand, hey, if I wash my hands with soap for 20 seconds, it purifies my hands from germs and viruses and, and other stuff like that. But I mean, come on, I'm now unclean and can't worship God because I helped bury someone? But again, we need to pause for a second and remind ourselves that Jesus isn't speaking in our context, right? He's speaking in a very specific and clearly defined context. And in that space, this really, really mattered. And the Pharisees were obsessed with it. And again, understandably so, because this is coming from their Bible. Listen to what's written in Numbers chapter 19. If you're not familiar, Numbers is another book in the Old Testament. And it was a book that was key in the Hebrew Bible in, in part because it directed Israel, it directed the Pharisees on how to make themselves pure and ready to welcome God's presence, which as we've learned through this series, the Pharisees really cared about. This really mattered. They wanted to create a pure and holy environment so that God would finally come and restore his kingdom. Um, so uh, Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. Here's what we read there. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and the seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third and seventh day, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. Anyone else listening to this get like flashbacks of COVID screening questions? Like, have you been in contact with an impure person in the past seven days? Right? It just has that same feel to it. But then verse 13 goes on a little bit further. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle. That's the one place where they would go to worship God. So that's significant. They defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. They will be cut off from the community of Israel. That's a really big deal. And I mean, like, wow, right? So in this, in this context, follow with me here to the group of people that absolutely know every single one of these purity laws to the group of people that absolutely have devoted their lives to doing everything that they read in their Bible that God says about how to make yourself pure because they care so much about the purity that God calls them to, this religious practice and so forth, to the group of people that consider themselves guaranteed to be counted among God's chosen, right? To that group of people, to them, Jesus says, yeah, you're actually missing the point. And in fact, the purity that you think you're holding on to, which you think means that you're paving the way for God's blessing and his goodness and actually for his presence to finally come fully and completely again, to that group of people, he says, what you're actually doing is creating death and impurity inside yourselves. Jesus says, you're beautiful on the outside. You look all great and pure on the outside, but on the inside, what's really there is dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Jesus says, what's actually going on is that they look nice on the outside, but in truth, in reality, 
they're headed for separation from God and from his people. Rather than moving closer to God, rather than doing what they think they are accomplishing by doing all this ritual and religious practice, rather than moving closer to God, they're actually moving farther away from him and risk being cut off from God and his people completely. That is intense. And that is not something that we would catch in our context unless we're paying attention to the words that Jesus is using here. And after all of that, after all of that, Jesus keeps going and he finishes off with this in verse 28. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's that same motif. Outwardly, you look one way. You look righteous on the, ins- on the outside, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this, again, is a line that we can pretty easily brush over and fail to see the significance of unless we remember to think in the context that Jesus is speaking. And he says of the Pharisees and their approach that it brings two things, outward righteousness, but inward lawlessness. So the word righteous, I said we're going to come back to this. The word righteous here is translated from the Hebrew word Sadiq. This is the word that would have been in the Pharisees' minds as they're listening. And the word Sadiq has... Um, with it, the, brings with it the sense of someone who is upright, who is virtuous, who keeps the commands of God, right? So this is someone, uh, this is a word used of a person who, whose way of thinking, whose way of thinking and feeling and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God, that there's nothing in, in how they live their life and who they are that needs any correction or rectification. So the meaning of Sadiq is one who does not depart from the way of God, that there's a way that God is calling us to live. And if you are righteous, if you are Sadiq, you are walking along that path, you are living along that, that way. And for us, when we talk about a righteous person, um, we think about someone who lives a religiously pious life. This is a very common understanding of this word, but the important distinction here is that that's not what Sadiq was getting at. It wasn't about this religious, ritualistic, pious life, but it was about following the correct path of God, the path and the way of God. And important here to recognize is that the way of God, this is important, the way of God is not primarily about following religious law and ritual, correct? Right? The way of God is not about doing the right outward thing. Because, follow with me here, if doing the right outward thing was primarily what God was, co- was concerned about, then when Jesus came, he would have come and clarified the rules, correct? Like that is what Jesus would have come. He would have come and, and last week Andrew was talking about washing cups. Jesus would have come and said, no, no, don't wash it that way, wash it this way. But that's not what Jesus does, right? When Jesus comes, he doesn't come to clarify and correct the rules. What he does is he comes and shows us how to be in right relationship with God and with other people. This is what Jesus comes to do. Because if you know this, think about this. If you know this, what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus identifies? To love God and to love people. To love God and to love people. These are the greatest commandments. And Jesus didn't just make these up. Are we following that? Jesus didn't make these up in the New Testament. He's pulling these from the Old Testament, from his Bible. They are explicitly baked into the religious law that the Pharisees believed they were following. 
They thought they were doing this so precisely and these commands to be in right relationship with God and with people are baked right into the Old Testament that this is what it means to be Sadiq. This is what it means to be righteous. The way of God, following the path of God, the way that leads to life rather than death is to be in right relationship with God and with other people. So Jesus is criticizing and warning his listeners then and today about how they can act in such a way that makes it look like they are righteous, makes it look on the outside like like they are following the way of God, like they are virtuous and following him. But in reality, they are doing the opposite. They look like they're doing what God wants them to do, but instead they are acting and on a trajectory that leads them in an opposite direction. So Jesus is saying, outwardly, you look like righteous people. You look as though you are Sadiq, but in reality, you are not in right relationship with people and therefore you cannot be in right relationship with God. You look good on the outside, but on the inside there is death and there's decay and there is impurity. And this really, really mattered in the context that Jesus was speaking because it all connects back to that hyperlink with Ezekiel chapter 13, where he talked about whitewash. I said, we're gonna get back here. Uh, This is the part where God is saying, your whitewashed wall is gonna be torn down and washed away. And the reason God was bringing this criticism and saying that they were not safe was not because people in Ezekiel's day were not following ritualistic rules and doing the right religious outward things, but it was because they were not allowing it to direct them towards its purpose, which is to be in right relationship with people around them, to care for the poor, to care for people in need, to look for ways to build healthy and wholesome relationships. So they're not in right relationship with one another. They're not actually righteous according to God's law. And that has put them at risk. This is Jesus's critique. Now, here's a a fun Bible nerd thing to do. Our precept people are gonna love this. It's always interesting and often significant to see what the first instance of a word is in the Bible. So for the word Sadiq, that word that we translate righteousness, any guesses on where that word is first used, who that word is first used to describe? Don't worry if you get it wrong, I absolutely got it wrong. The word Sadiq is first used to describe Noah. Yeah, that that guy with the boat and the flood and the animals, that weird and wonderful story in Genesis chapter six, right? The word Sadiq is first used to describe Noah to talk about how he was righteous. And interestingly, sorry, more nerd stuff, but this matters because this was the context that Jesus would have been speaking in. With regard to Noah, there was no religious law yet. Right? Moses who gave the law, Israel as a nation, none of that existed yet. It's just Noah being called Sadiq, being called righteous based on his relationship with God and with others around him. And so not only that, again, this is the context that the Pharisees would have been thinking in. Jesus says, Our outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. I don't have time to go into all this because like I said, I tried to pack too much into this, but just to say here that the story of the flood is a story of God's creation folding in on itself on God's law and order turning back into chaos and lawlessness. And so for the Pharisees, what they would have been thinking of and res- what would have been resonating with them is Jesus talking about outward righteousness. Oh, that's, that's Noah. That's our first example of righteousness, of good relationship and inward lawlessness. In, in you, God's creation and God's order is actually turning in on itself. Um, 
there's too much there to go into right now. I don't have time, but the bottom line here, I think where, where I can bring this, is simply saying that Jesus is very directly slamming the tendency of his listeners to believe that God's way is about doing the right outward thing rather than about letting God's goodness come alive in us and connecting us to himself. It's our tendency to try and do the the right outward thing to look like we're righteous people, but actually not allow God's goodness to come alive in us and help us be in right relationship with God and with other people. So then where does this all leave us? Because if the Bible nerd stuff doesn't excite you like it obviously does me, you may be feeling a little like we're off track and you're like, dude, where, where are you taking us? So let me, let me say this, because I think this could be, um, this could be considered our, our main point for, for this morning. Simply this, that disregarding our brokenness to look good on the outside is anti-Jesus. That's, I think, where this takes us, that disregarding our brokenness on the outside but ignoring our um, brokenness is anti-Jesus. And since this can sound pretty harsh, let me just remind us of our need for humility here, right? Because we need to admit that if the Pharisees could miss God's way, then certainly we can as well. If they could be performing their rites and rituals and not addressing their hearts, if, if it's possible for Jesus to speak this criticism to them who were so focused on, on all of the righteousness that God had supposedly called them to, then we need to allow it to speak to us as well. Let Jesus speak to us as well. And here again, that disregarding our brokenness to look good on the outside is anti-Jesus. Now, I said this at the beginning, but this matters because when we refuse to admit that we aren't as shiny and happy on the inside as we'd like people to believe, right? Or worse, when we think that we're all good, when in fact, um, you know, we're, we're not. When we think we're all good without God, then our hearts are actually more like a tomb than like a garden. And this attitude, this way of living actually leads us to being cut off from community, from being pulled back because we refuse to be vulnerable. And the truth is that we are capable of covering over or ignoring our brokenness and our sin. We are capable of refusing to let God's way of righteousness fill us and transform us to be more like Jesus. And we are not just capable of this. We practice this. And Jesus is calling us to something better. Listen to how Chris Green talks about this in his book, Surprised by God. He says, By grace, Lent reminds us that we are sinful creatures, that we are going to need again and again through the course of our lives to be forgiven and reconciled. We find it difficult, if not impossible, to hear this truth rightly. We almost always hear talk of sin as a moral judgment. We imagine that admitting we're sinners is an acknowledgement that we've had bad thoughts, that we've done bad things, but that misses the mark entirely. We are called not to be moral by the standards and orders of our society, but to be holy as God is holy. Sin, therefore, is not the failure to live a good, clean life, but the refusal to let God's goodness come alive in us for the good of others. This is righteousness. This is Sadiq. Sin is whatever stifles or sin is whatever stifles or frustrates the fullness of joy in our neighbor's life. Sin is the unwillingness to take the risks that loving our enemies requires. Sin is anything and everything that is done unlovingly anything and everything that is done in bad faith, anything and everything that leaves us hopeless. So we need 
As a community, we need to admit that disregarding our brokenness to look good on the outside is anti-Jesus. And we want to willingly address the parts of our lives that still need more of Jesus because we know they're there. We need to address the parts of our lives where we know we are not yet righteous, where we are not in good relationship with one another or with God, and where maybe we are even hiding sin rather than letting Jesus free us from it, where we are, like Jesus says, more like tombs on the inside um, and where there is death in us. And the important thing is to recognize that having death and deadness and brokenness inside us is not the problem. Let me explain what I mean by that. Having deadness inside us is not a problem because Jesus can fix that. It's no secret that you and I still have parts of our lives that are like a tomb, right? That line between good and evil runs through all of us. None of us are exempt from this. So the point isn't that we have deadness in us, that we have tombs in us. The problem is when we ignore our deadness or think that we are good without Jesus. Because when we choose to whitewash our lives, when we choose to cover up or ignore the impurity and the deadness in our hearts and in ourselves and in our relationships with others, that is when we step directly in the path of Jesus's rebuke. So we need to be aware of our tendency to believe God's way is about doing the right outward thing rather than about being in right relationship with the people around us. The danger isn't saying, how dare you have brokenness in our hearts? We know it's there. You have brokenness, I have brokenness. We know this is true of us. The danger is believing that God wants us to just do the right outward thing rather than let us open up our hearts to him and stop missing the point that he actually can free us and turn our tombs into gardens. Because when we take this sort of closed off and defensive approach, this actually becomes a barrier to our relationships with Jesus and with one another. And this is why vulnerability with a few trusted people is so, so important because it allows us to honestly share where our hearts still need more of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Doing this, practicing this, acknowledging the, the brokenness and the impurity still in our lives, this allows us to admit to others how sin and brokenness are still at play in our lives. And rather than stay there, actually brings us to a place of being able to encourage one another and pray for one another so that Jesus can bring us healing and life. Is that, is that making sense? Remember, the issue isn't that we have deadness inside us. We know that's the case. That is not the critique. The issue is not that we have deadness inside us. It's that we choose not to share that with Jesus and with others so that we can be healed. We whitewash on the outside, but ignore the deadness and the brokenness inside us. And this is one of the reasons why uh, home churches continue to be such an important part of who we are as a church here at Bethany, because they provide a space for us to learn and actually to share our lives, to confess our sin with one another so that we can experience healing, so that we can be more like Jesus and so that we can be free from sin and move into a right, a right relationship with God and with other people and know this doesn't happen right away with a home church. No, it isn't easy. Vulnerability with anybody, but vulnerability takes trust and trust can take time and effort and risk. But 
I will say this, it's in our Jesus-centered communities at Bethany, such as, as Home Church, where we get to actually talk about what's not right in our life, where we get to actually acknowledge and admit and share our brokenness and then be part of each other's journey with Jesus. This is why home churches are so important for us. And I'm excited that our spring home church season is just around the corner. It's actually starting next week. And we are, uh, would, would love to help encourage you and help you connect into a home church, whether it's joining one that's already meeting or even starting a new one. You can find a ton of information about our home churches on our website. Um, also on there, you can find ways to contact me or our home church team. We'd love to talk to you, answer questions, and help you get connected into a home church. So now, apart from that, where does this leave us, right? How do we respond now? Well, I want to finish off just very briefly with a couple suggestions of what I think we can do in response to this this week. The first is just to admit that we still need more of Jesus. That should be easy. Just admit that we still need more of Jesus. Admit that we still have sin and brokenness in us, that we still have parts of our lives that are like tombs and we need Jesus to heal those and turn those into gardens. So we admit, we just start by admitting we still need Jesus. And then once we acknowledge that, we can start to reflect on, on our life. Maybe start with the past two weeks or even the past month. Just reflect, where is there relational tension in my life? We can reflect and ask the question, where is there animosity and bitterness in my relationships? Where, where do I see myself uh, bringing resentment or a lack of compassion when I think about certain people? When I think about that person or that individual, where, what kind of emotions come up and where do I see that, that tension? Where am I not in right relationship with people around me? Where am I lacking Sadiq? Where am I lacking that righteousness that God calls us to? We can also reflect on the past two weeks and just say, where am I whitewashing my life and hiding brokenness and impurity? Where am I covering up and making it seem like things are all good when, when they're really not? Where am I hiding sin? Where am I, as Chris Green wrote, where am I living unlovingly and without hope? These are the places where Jesus says our heart is like a tomb, right? So we wanna reflect on this and acknowledge this because we've already admitted that we need more of Jesus. So where is it that we need? And I would encourage you in this process, be prayerful and be honest because for, for some of you, you already know what God wants to do in your life. It might be anger, it might be unforgiveness, that might be the obvious thing God wants to address in your life. It might be some form of addiction, maybe it's a, a certain internet addiction that I know is so prevalent in our society and even in our church that God wants to free you from, that you don't wanna be whitewashing anymore or other form of addiction. Um, and maybe for some of us though, we'll need to ask God for a bit more direction because we're not exactly sure. We say, Jesus, I know I need you, but what is it you wanna do in my life? Maybe he's gonna highlight pride or an arrogance that you actually think you don't need Jesus anymore, that you've got this. Maybe it's gonna be to choose to make amends or begin serving a person or uh, some group in your community. But um, we need to go there and reflect. So we wanna first, uh, in our response, we wanna admit that we need more of Jesus. Then we wanna honestly and prayerfully reflect on the last few weeks to see where sin still lives in our heart. And then once we see what God is bringing to our attention, then we do the real work and we start to repent to someone that we trust. We start to repent and confess to someone we trust. We share a part of our hidden brokenness 
with someone you trust this week. That's my encouragement. Um, because we need to name and admit our sin to one another, uh, to a person that we trust so that we can let Jesus work in us. And this is, this is most likely going to feel scary, right? That's normal. This is going to feel scary for a lot of us. This might even cost us something, but this is where we need to go to admit to a trustworthy person the brokenness that Jesus is revealing in us so that we can begin to let Jesus work in us. Because remember, Jesus' critique to the Pharisees was not that they had uh, brokenness in them, but that they weren't acknowledging the deadness in them to let Jesus come and set them free, to come and give them the life that he offers. That was the critique. And he calls us in the same way to repentance so that we can be free and receive more of the life that Jesus has for us. So that is what I think we need to do this week. We can start by admitting that we need more of Jesus. Then we can prayerfully and honestly reflect on what is it um, you want to do in our lives, Jesus? Where is there still sin in my heart? And then once we see what God is bringing to our attention, we can repent to someone we trust. And let's just say this isn't going to be easy. This isn't even necessarily going to be enjoyable. But that doesn't mean it isn't going to be incredibly good because we know that God is bringing life and God is working in us to turn our tombs into gardens. And so why don't we let him work that in our lives this week? As we finish, I want to invite you again to read our prayer of confession along with me as we close off our time together this morning. So will you pray with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And that's what we wanna do this week. We want to acknowledge the parts of our lives that are still broken, that still need more of Jesus and invite him in so that we can be people of righteousness, so that we can turn tombs into gardens and experience the life that Jesus has for us. I hope that's encouraging for you. I hope you practice that. And I hope that you see God continue to bring life and hope into your life this week. Grace and peace.